Hi, welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for working photographers. I'm Tyler Stellman. And I'm Cameron Whitman. Here, here we are again. Here we are. And we're going to try to get away from gear a little bit because it's really fun to do gear-centric episodes, but you know what? We want this show to last and to be relevant throughout the generations and gear comes and goes, but you know, photography wisdom is forever. Technique and theory is, yeah. is also some pretty interesting stuff. I was just saying I want to do a little bit of follow-up about uh, cameras. About your Canon. Yeah, but well, let, let's actually leave that. Let's leave everybody in suspense. <laughs> because, uh, I know I, I am. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to get the meat of the show in the front, which um, I don't know, like you, you kind of were talking about this and the idea of when to follow rules of composition. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about before that you went to a bit more photo school than me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I was always a little late in figuring out that there were any general guidelines about how to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I was kind of like reading them from old books and they never, they were never drilled into me with any sort of authority, but I know that people that I've talked to that have been in more schooling, it, it's pressed as more of like, these are some hard rules to be aware of things like rule of thirds and golden ratios and what have you. Yeah. And you also hear them, in critique. Right. Which I didn't have to go through that. Right. So, I mean, you, there'll be, you might talk about something during a lesson, but then when you actually shoot some stuff that week <laughs> and you have to critique it with the whole class, then either the other students or the, the instructor will actually then show you where you either got it right or wrong. And it's invaluable. So my first question is, which of these rules do you actually kind of keep in your head now? What, what is still relevant to shooting years later? So I think that it's important to first state that in order to break the rules, you should know them. And Cliches are true for a reason. Yes. And in terms of framing and composition, I think it's especially true. And so for me, yes, I think about it constantly because I only shoot with, I always have a grid on my cameras. I do too. Yeah, always. Like unless I don't have one. And sometimes I think that I can, I can still navigate fairly well without one if I don't have one, but I, I can tell, you know, I can see sometimes. You feel it missing. Well, I can see it in, in the res- end results. You know? Right. So then I feel myself going back to Lightroom and, and fixing things. I actually realized the day before yesterday, um, I was shooting with the 5D4 and I was like, something just feels like it feels wrong when I'm shooting photos. And it took a few minutes to realize like, oh, I haven't turned on the grid yet. <laughs> That's why it, it, just this lack of guidance every time I look through the viewfinder. So, um, yeah, I can feel when it's missing. It's probably obvious to say, but if you have a modern digital camera, then you have a grid. You just mm-hmm. have to turn it on. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, in your it, settings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I actually had to dig around for it a bit. It, was, it wasn't obvious, even though it's something I've, I just turn it on when I get a new camera and leave it on so I don't remember where it is in the menu. <laughs> yeah, and so it just helps you balance things, like, so but, much. So, in, in what ways? Like, what... Uh, do you use it for? You know, there's the rule of thirds, obviously, which is something that's really easy to use. But like if when you're using the grid, then those connecting points are great ways to to balance items, especially like, uh, let me use this instance. So I shoot a lot of tabletop food photography, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not so much an issue when, when I'm shooting horizontal, because when I'm shooting in landscape mode or whatever, then, you know, you can just line up the horizon line with one of the lines on the grid. It's really simple. You know, where you balance the rest of it, some of that's going to, can be helpful with rule of thirds, but it, it also can get a little bit boring. But where I find it to be really interesting is, is when I'm shooting vertically, especially if it's not, you know, like a straight shot, if I'm shooting from an angle, like especially from a high angle, then it's, it's easier for me to visually align the items in a, in a way that works. Mm-hmm. If I'm placing the, the focal point, or I guess the, the point of interest in whatever each item is, like in those intersections of the grid, mm-hmm. or at least connecting the dots somehow within that grid. And it's it's kind of, you know, you have to play around with this. And it, some of this is, you know, it's totally in your own head. It's not like it's actually showing you some kind of a pattern that, well, it is, but it's not like it's, it's connecting dots well, literally. So this is part of my, why I've resisted the idea of rules for a long time. Um, rule of thirds being a perfect one. Uh, also, uh, there's like certain rules of triangles and um, things that people will take famous f- photos mm-hmm. 
and take out a, a pencil and a ruler and, and just start drawing lines across it. And it's like, look, you can see the rule of thirds and the rule of uh, and golden ratios right here. Mm-hmm. And they're drawing lines all over it. And, and looking at it as a new photographer, my feeling was like, what are you talking about? You just put lines on an existing image <laughs> and, and called it, uh, you know, following the rules. Because unless it's really blunt, sometimes it's not really obvious. Like rule of thirds is a great example that mm-hmm. sometimes that can mean that you place your subject's face in one of the intersections of the lines, right? Mm-hmm. The, what do we have? Four lines. But sometimes it can also mean that you're kind of filling one of the the, the three areas or that there is a straight line going through two of the intersections. Or like there are many ways that things can even accidentally interact with the lines on your grid. Absolutely. And that that what you were just saying about it, like kind of being in your head, mm-hmm. it took me a while to feel comfortable with that because it's it is such a loose rule and it really is up to your interpretation of how are you going to put these lines to any sort of effective use but once you do there's something there it clearly does help you shoot better but it, it can well, be a little fuzzy of how it's interacting that's it, right it's kind of like those magic guy paintings <laughs> you <laughs> right. know like you can stare at it for a while and maybe never see it but once you once you get it it's just kind of this this impulse thing Mm-hmm. For me, it's. I think it's totally automatic at this point. I don't really think about it. But if you're curious about how to kind of train yourself with this, um, one of the ways that I learned, I don't think that I could single pinpoint a single way, but one of the ways that I learned is, is by shooting 4 by 5 view cameras in school. Um, it's a brutal challenge because not only, you know, just getting an exposure on the thing, but like there's a lot of different little um bits to it that are so completely different than using an SLR. And um, it's an entirely unique experience. But the uh, ground glass that's on the back of the camera, which you view the image, uh, it's a reverse image, first of all. Mm-hmm. right? So that alone is is a hell of a thing to, to have to deal with or overcome. Anybody listening that also shoots with a, uh, a TLR, um, so even th- those with the TLR realize that you're still, you're looking at things you know, when you try to frame things, everything's the opposite. So if you think you need to move left, you actually need to move right. You know, some mm-hmm. stuff like that. So in a, in a view camera, everything is just literally upside down. And so it felt like a hurdle, you know, and it is. It is a hurdle. But I remember the teacher telling me that it's actually, this is probably the most important or maybe the most relevant tool to learning about proper framing and composition because if you can see that it works when it's upside down, then it's legit. Right. And then, you know, another another little uh, cheat or, I guess, helper is to try framing your subjects out of focus. So you're just looking at blunt mm-hmm. shapes. Hmm. I haven't heard that one. Oh, it's the best. It's great. Like, if you're ever really struggling to find the right frame, like, mm-hmm. just pull yourself out of focus. Not, not, not like a massive amount, just... So the you know, turn the, it into shapes instead of exactly. Uh, so the context of the of what you're shooting kind of washes away, and now you're just literally looking at, at right. what makes a pleasing shape in front of you. Well, I know something that I've heard in uh, kind of fine art, like drawing, is um, if you're doing like replications, sometimes you'll draw upside down mm-hmm. so that you're not looking at the overall image, but you're focused on the area of the image that you're working on. Um, which is a really interesting exercise. Yes. Um, and that's yeah. another thing that, you know, I, I had to do that in school too. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was actually going to bring that up, but I'll get that in a minute. Okay. Well, you know more about it than I do. But I'm like reading through a random online list here of some compositional rules. And we've got things like uh, rule of thirds, golden ratio, mm-hmm. golden triangles and spirals. That, I think that's the one that always felt the most bullshitty to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, leaving space. Okay, so the, th- that's actually one that I think a lot of people might need to hear at the beginning, and I think it can be really valuable, is just is not completely filling, putting your subject edge to edge in a frame. Yeah, totally. You know, and having that idea of like, oh, wait, all this empty area might be valuable. Or even more importantly, deciding what the empty part of your frame is going to be. Like people that are not trying to be photographers, just just regular people taking snapshots. Such a common thing is they'll take a few steps back to 
to take a family photo and half of the final frame is the floor yeah <laughs> or or equally it's the ceiling and with that is not beautiful that is not what they meant to take a photo of like this is not interesting to them but they just aren't observing it they aren't considering the empty portion of the frame they just their their eyes since they are focused on the subject when they look at the image they're not concerning themselves with what is going on around it mm-hmm. and um actually the most common advice i end up giving to non-photographers to give them a kickstart to doing something better is just try to decide what you are taking a photo of like what your subject is going to be and that should be the whole frame so if it's let's say the scene that we have is a a girl sitting at a coffee shop if you're photo is of a coffee cup that should basically you know be right in the middle of your frame but if it's of the table setting then you can like involve more of the table and if it's of her then it should primarily be her filling most of the frame and then if it's photo of the coffee shop then you start to back up and let the most beautiful parts of it fill it but like make a decision before you take the photo what is this a photo of and fill the frame with that Mm -hmm. which can include empty space or not, but just decide. Just decide what you're taking a photo of. Don't just let the photo happen to you by mistake. I think that once you, once they, they I say, I'm going to say simple rules, but they're not really that simple. You have, somebody has to teach them to you and you have to like absorb them and, and accept them. Then you can break them. But some of those things are like how you're um, framing a person in a portrait, but not cutting off the top of their head and, you know, not cutting off their chin. <laughs> that can be a really, that takes a long time to figure out yeah. where, where to crop a portrait is, is really difficult. I think even now for me, I have a hard time making those decisions sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I don't think it ever gets easier. Yeah. You know, like I actually, I, I see it in, in when I'm shooting events because everything's fast paced and a lot of times when I'm taking a portrait, um, the people are smiling because they feel obligated to, not because they're happy that I'm taking a picture. So I feel like I need to get through it, if you will, mm-hmm. and just get it done. Um, and then when I'm looking back and editing the photos, like I see it all the time. Like I'm like, crap, I cut their hands, right, or something like that, you know. And, and there's just there's places there's I, I've seen I mean, you've seen those diagrams, right? That people make up where it's like places where you should crop your photos for portraits, yeah. So like in the, in the shin, in the middle of the leg, you know, like right. uh, below the hands or, you, you know. know, what's funny with it is that something I've started noticing is how often I'll end up seeing what feel like mistakes in fashion photography. Like I'll be looking at high end ads and the shoes are an important part of it, but they crop the toes off. I don't know. I don't, I don't have much to say about that statement. I've just always found it curious that a lot of the like really high end stuff end up, this is when they end up breaking those rules, but they're so good that once you've mastered it, you can start pushing it further like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't start with that. Yeah. yeah exactly. Cause then it just looks like a hot mess. I mean, you might, <laughs> you know, you might start off with something awesome, but the thing that I warn or like, I would like to warn everybody about is that like when you're trying to be like pushing the envelope or avant-garde, that's awesome if you if you actually understand the rules. Hmm. Because if you don't understand the rules, like you're going to get stuck with the one thing that you know how to do. And then hmm. when po- people are grown tired of looking at that one thing you do, you're done. Yeah. Because where are you going to pivot from there? Well, or you find yourself in a challenging situation that you didn't expect and you don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> that's even worse. I mean, that's that's... That's a true artist, right? <laughs> you're yeah. only, you know, you're never going to be able to 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 actually accomplish a uh, an assignment if that's your if that's how you shoot is that you rely on a certain your your only known techniques. And if we assume that our audience is generally people that do this for a living, that's so much of what differentiates professionals. Somebody that should be paid for their photography from hobbyists is that they can respond to any environment and mm-hmm. figure out how to make it work. So. Yeah. And I think that it, that's actually a, a pretty common source of confusion between the two, between the hobbyist and the professional is that a lot, and a lot of, or maybe even their audiences respectively. A lot of times people will be like, well, I don't see like, why does this, why is this person 
you know, making money. Because, like, I know this other guy, and his photography is so much better. It's so much more interesting. <laughs> right. Well, okay, we'll take him out of his comfort zone and, and see what happens. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly how you determine who's the professional. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's who, not necessarily... Who who do you want to risk your money on uh, when, when you've got a, if you are a client that is not a photographer and you spent a lot of money on something, maybe it's hiring models for the day, or maybe it's having access to a certain location or it's building a tower out of popsicle sticks. And, Mm -hmm. um, you've paid somebody to come take a photo of it. You want to trust that they understand all these rules, that they understand how to use their equipment and that they're able to execute in exactly that environment without you stressing about, um, well, if it's a little too dark for them, they're not going to be able to get a photo today and all of our resources are wasted. Yeah. So. One thing that I, I see a lot is is that people will show up into an environment and they'll be like, no, the light's just not exactly the way that, that I need it to be. And it's like, well, yeah, that's that's called professional photography. <laughs> yeah, so change it. <laughs> yeah, like this, this means yeah. that you need to quickly adapt and figure yeah. out how to still make it awesome. Yeah. Which, but, which is know. hard. I mean, not to make it sound... No, of course like it's hard. Easy, that's that's why that's why there are so yeah, few true professionals mm-hmm. versus hobbyists. Yeah, and to be fair, um, I, you know, there I would say that I probably enjoy a larger number of hobbyists than I do professionals in terms mm-hmm. of viewing their work. <laughs> but it's just a simple fact of life that, like, if you want to make a living out of being a photographer, then uh, so the art of here's how I sum it up. Basically, or I'm going to try to at least and see if I don't step on my toes. Um, the art of photography is maybe like 25% creativity and 75% problem solving. Right. So like if you don't yeah, have a lot of knowledge to back up your creativity, you're probably not going to get anywhere because so much of it is just understanding how things work. And so understanding which options you have when the the things that you are first relying on are the first things that you imagine don't work. When I think that it, it doesn't quite fit in that description, though, is when people are just creating things for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, which is why a lot of Instagram photographers can do an amazing job without any technical knowledge, is because they are always defining the rules of their the next photo they take, right? If they go to a location and the light isn't right, they don't take the photo and they take another photo another day when they find a better situation. So they're only posting the good stuff. Yeah. And there, there actually are ways that can be a career. There are many ways. Oh, absolutely. Um, But it's, it's, it's that ability to perform for a client in a situation you didn't choose. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're like, it doesn't mean you're photos aren't great. Like they're, they still are great, but it's, they might be a lot better even. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But learning to adapt is what, um, is, you know, it's really important to working for other people. Yeah. I think that that's, that's the distinction that we're trying to make here. It's, you know, there's, I guess that there are different ways to define what makes you a professional. Um, you know, if, if you could be a professional just by doing exactly what you do, you know, that happens, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's far less likely to happen than being somebody that's, you know, able to adapt quickly and make something that's still pleasing to your client. You know, that's the thing, right? Um, there's art and then there's commerce, you know, <laughs> and those two things intersect in, in, in the world of professional photography, but sometimes, you know, the art has to take a back seat. So, uh, trying to get a little bit back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about, horizon lines uh specifically there are a lot of people that shoot for years without much regard for them (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) first of all i think that they need to be straight (laughs) all the time Mm -hmm. um there's actually this is interesting because i was uh i'm training a, a new editor over at stocksy right now and we were talking about you know how certain angles can work or not work and how a lot of photographers you know, even like really super talented photographers can can make simple mistakes. But if you're going to be shooting against a, a flat background, you need to make sure that that all the lines are straight. Otherwise, it will be distracting. It'll be skewy. It'll throw off your eye from from whatever the the attention is supposed to be there. The background, unless the background is the the main part of the photo. Mm-hmm 
then it, it should be something that just is sitting there without anyone even taking notice of it. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be distracting at all. And that's why straight lines are so damn important because as soon as you get convergence and stuff like that, like it just, it screws up everything. And especially I think that if you're a designer or something like that and you need to actually use the images, uh, that's probably when it, it, it hurts the most. Because then you're imagining how it fits into your your bigger project, and the lines screw everything up, and you can't use it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's knowing that if you tilt your camera and you tilt the horizon, that always has a really strong communication. Like there's there's never a time that that doesn't send a strong message to the viewer. Yeah, um, and of course, like there are many times that it works well. Like we we don't mean to see that there actually are no good tilted photos if you just of Google image search. Dutch angles, yeah. um, you know, you'll just find a lot of cases where it works, but what you'll see about them is that they're always, they're always really tense and stressful situations. They're, totally. they're moments that are intentionally, um, jarring. Yeah. Like it, it, it makes you nervous. Mm-hmm. And so unless the purpose is to add some, something either tension or it can also add energy. Like I could imagine also it fitting into like, say a commercial photo shoot at a party. Oh, totally. Where everybody's supposed to like look like they're going crazy and having fun. Yeah, well, yeah like, because you want to be a viewer, not a you know, like you want to be a person in the party, yeah. as opposed to you know, like a, your elbow got bumped at the last second, or <laughs> yeah. Or but, uh, I think even more, um, more importantly, is probably like in photojournalism, which mm-hmm. is a dying art. But either way, so it's not like you never can, but it just happens so much. And of course, uh, the the thing we're both thinking about while we talk about this is the traditional stock photography, like the things we've seen in the past. If you go around to a lot of like micro stock sites, for example, you'll just see so much happy commercial photography that is just slightly tilted. <laughs> yep. And I have absolutely no idea why, like what was the, why did you make this decision? Yeah. Or um, did you not notice? <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah, I'm more afraid of. Yeah, it's it's really weird to me because it seems like the default is to line it up. Like the first thing you would try to do is look straight at the subject. Yeah, I think that I think that 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 makes a lot of sense logically for for people who've been doing it. But whenever I see somebody that's just starting out, like everything's crooked, everything's mm-hmm. tilted. You know, the, in the example that that I was we were talking about in that training session, the background. I mean, so it was shot at a slight angle, but from the, what is it, like uh, 180 degrees, right? So, like, maybe it was like 190 degrees, mm-hmm. which they, they, they shot from. And so, what ends up happening is, and also everything, let me just preface this, it was a wide angle, and everything was mostly... Like ultra-wide? Like, like uh, 20 millimeters? Or? No, like like a between a 24 and 35, right? Okay. Um, and so from that angle, you, you know, you're, you're really taking a lot of chances by not lining things up really perfectly with a wide angle. Cause mm-hmm. there's just way that, okay, let's just, let's just say that, right? Like if you're <laughs> shooting with a wide angle, a lot like, of qualifications here. Yeah. yeah you got it. You got to really focus on your lines and your distortions because it's going to, it's going to really get wonky and weird. Mm-hmm. But from those just slightly off angles, you know, like if, if you're going to shoot straight on, you have to be at 180 degrees most of the time. And if you're going to go at 170 or 190, like you're going to confuse the whole communication because then all of a sudden, you know, like in this particular photo, it's like you're looking at the background and you're going like, why is the background so important here? It's ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm really supposed to be focusing on what these people are doing. There was another example that was um, from a, from a true, you know, like a more of a close to a forty five to sixty degree angle, and you know, then it's a nice angle. You can actually line things up, and it makes sense as being an angle. But in between that point and one eighty, it looks really weird. One time I really noticed this is after editing a batch of wedding photos. Cause while I'm shooting, I try to line things up, but they're, they're often not like just angles are slightly off by a couple of degrees. Cause I'm, you know, not, not perfect. And well, yeah, uh, I mean, when you're shooting like that, you know, yeah. come on. but once you've gone through and even if all you did 
to edit your wedding photos or event photos is uh, adjusted crops to follow basic rules of composition, like get people more in the center if they were just off center or, or place people in a, you know, rule of thirds quadrant. Um, is it a quadrant when there's th- thirds? I don't, I don't know. I don't think it is. Th- thir- <laughs> thirdrant. Um, you, I don't know the answer, but that just question. going through that process can turn your photos from looking the amateur to professional. It can make a huge difference just fixing the crop and composition huge um, to you huge um, <laughs> to make it, you know what I mean? Like it, it it'll make it, a tremendous difference. <laughs> that's right. It will. I'm going to punch myself. Now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, am I right? Am, <clears throat> yes. am I right or am I right? No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, you're the best. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, uh, it's that, totally true though. I mean, yeah. that's, that's actually one of the, that's the, the main thing that I do when I'm editing the events I shoot is I just go and straighten them. And then, you know, there's probably uh, some photos that are going to need a little bit of a tweak with exposure or something else. But for the most part, that's the majority of the work that I'm doing is straightening, mm-hmm. straightening the photos. Um, Cause it doesn't matter how professional you are. And like when you're in a moment like that and you're running around, you're going to shoot some lopsided. You're going to miss a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you do it? Have you been using the new transform tools in Lightroom? Oh yeah. I've, yeah. I've been using them like when they were part of the lens corrections yeah, ever yeah. since the, you know, they, they were first added a bit. Like it's uh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I love it. <laughs> well, to, to get into the weeds a little, like ex- exactly how do you like to use it? Like when do you use which settings? Well, I, you know, most of the time I think that I'm correcting my, my vertical perspective mm-hmm. more than anything else. Um, and then, uh, I use rotate quite a lot. So by your vertical, you mean getting the vertical lines to just be straight up and down, like, so they don't converge or what are you changing to make the vertical feel right in the end? Yeah. So, you know, like if there are, if there are vertical lines in the photo, like in, in my opinion, those lines need to be going straight or else it's, it just whacks everything out for me. Mm-hmm. I'm very much, I recognize I'm very much OCD on this. You know, like this is definitely a, a thing for me, but well, I, I was almost thinking of getting Anya to talk on this episode. Cause she is super OCD about it. Like I care. I want lines to be straight, but when I'm editing photos for her and she's like watching me, she'll sometimes we'll do like composites of the photo where different vertical lines aren't, straight at the same angle. Like you mm-hmm. can't adjust the whole image together. So we'll start cutting out sections of the image to make all of the lines that were not straight in reality straight, yeah. which I, it drives me crazy because I don't care enough, but um, uh, yeah. it can it's, be it's, done. It's funny because uh, our mutual friend and, and coworker, Jen Grantham is, mm-hmm. is exactly <laughs> that way too. Uh-huh. Like it, it makes her crazy. And, yeah, and, yeah. and it's one of these things that we can connect on so easily. Cause we're like, Oh, the lines. <laughs> See, I, I don't know. I, I like to get it to the point where re in reality, they would have been straight. They are straight as reality could have provided them. That's kind of my standard I move towards, but no, that's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not necessarily promoting like fixing something that's broken. <laughs> 30 minutes of additional straightening work per image. Definitely not that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I've, I've really been liking too much. the, yeah, I've been liking the guided lines a lot in the transform tool. Oh, it's yeah, of course. Oh yeah. For the Where same you, reasons that you like them in your, in your viewfinder. Totally. Well, but when it does the transform as you draw them, right. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know the ones I mean? I know exactly. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so often the automatic tools just don't give you that much control and they end up doing something you didn't expect or, Straightening to a line that was yeah. not the line you're looking at. What is it that that level button is trying to accomplish? Oh, yeah, I know. Some, and sometimes all of them are just completely crazy. Like, They're I don't, whack. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like the first iteration of, of, of an idea that, that would be good if it worked. And then sometimes full, which has the most aggressive adjustments, mm-hmm. sometimes it's the most accurate. <laughs> Sure. Uh, it's, it's really strange. I find often though, I do need to kind of click through all of those presets to find one that sees the image in the way that I see it. See, I, I'm, I'm not clicking those presets because the first time I clicked them, 
and they, they you know like mm-hmm. actually the very first time i clicked level like i was editing a uh, a live theater performance shoot and with the photo that i saw in the original the first one i saw it straightened it perfectly and i was like oh my god mm-hmm. <laughs> so then like i just select all <laughs> right <laughs> you, know, no, sync. you can't you definitely can't do that and then like oh man it was the worst mistake because then i had to go back and like a lot of them that were just slightly bent all of a sudden were straight up tilted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, I was it, like, it, Wait it a minute. creates the tilt. Yeah. And I, I was just like, this makes absolutely no sense. Like no. You, it's, it's a point where like computers, you know, like you can't actually just ha- tell the computer, like make sure that everything's level. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to press that level button, like everything has to be like level, like a bubble level. <laughs> I think that no matter what you end up needing to manually juggle settings around there's no one thing you can always do like the other common one is using the crop tool and you hold down command Mm -hmm. and you know click from one point to the other creates a straight line um that can work great but if there's any perspective shift it only straightens to that one line right like if you weren't straight on to the subject right um so i don't know i i do use those presets in transform pretty often you know one of them is turned on to maybe 10 or 20 percent of photos uh, and lately I've been going towards that guided preset more often because I can control it so much more. Hmm. So That's fascinating. How often do you use the, uh, the ruler tool in the crop? I really often. Yeah. Um, yeah. Constantly basically. Like I'll usually do that first. I'll, mm-hmm. Like I'll go, th- let's call it, uh, let's say I'm editing a wedding. Cause this is when you have to do the most of it. I'll go through everything and crop and straighten kind of manually first. And then after I'm done that, I'll come back and see if there is perspective issues and see if the automatic features can correct the perspective because they can just be really time consuming to do it manually. Like a lot of just nudging things back and forth and then going too far and having to back it off. So, uh, I'll I'll usually basically flip them on and off. If they're not working, then I'll use guided and then, uh, that's the last resort usually. Yeah. Cause I want it to be as fast as possible. Like I, I don't have time to really manually uh, get every single photo. Perfect. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's probably important to say that, that a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about is, is mostly uh, attributing or it's mostly important when you're shooting wider angles from anywhere from a super wide to, you know, even a 50. Right. Um, once you get into the telephoto range, you know, like all of these things start to, to get different just, you know, based on how much depth of field you have. Yeah. The precision can matter a little bit less. Yeah. Unless, you know, like you're shooting against a very strong horizon, you know, and you can see that it's screwy, but I think that all these rules can be, can be much more easily broken with a telephoto. Do you ever use those manual uh, lens correction lines in Photoshop where instead of, just detecting your lens profile and adding an automatic adjustment, you can click from point to point and it'll straighten the lines. Maybe I'm not precisely naming this tool, right? Do you know what I mean? No, but I I like the way it sounds. Okay. It's really great. I'm going to open it up right now. Lens correction. I'm trying to get the right name. So when I open lens correction by default, it's automatic and that is not what we want. Uh, Yeah. I find that some of the presets in Lightroom are just wrong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's because it's in adaptive wide angle. Uh, Have you ever opened that up? Nope. It's really crazy. Sometimes I can't make it work. Sometimes it like kind of breaks an image. Mm-hmm. Um, but the basics are that you uh, give it a preset, a correction preset, preset, and then you start drawing lines from your straight points. And what's really interesting is that if there is a curve in the image, the Photoshop line will just start moving with the curve it'll realize like oh yeah the image is definitely bent here and and i'm going to draw the the guiding line along that curve and when you finally click it's it's it follows the same curvature path and then you can set the angle that you want that to be at right See, that's so just incredible it's really really great it's it is easy to break an image with it because I don't understand all the settings. Maybe maybe you understand them. You uh, don't break them, but uh, you, you should play with it. I mean, especially pull out like a fisheye image. Pull out something that's really distorted, and it can just snap everything into place. It's I've never amazing. shot a fisheye. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not even like a GoPro. No, I've never shot a fisheye. No, I think that I don't know. 
What about like a 14, I mean, the the Canon anyway. Like an ultrawide? Yeah, the ultrawide, the, the expensive 14 millimeter Canon uh, has a lot of distortion correction in it and is really surprisingly not curvy. Yeah, same with the uh, the 14 to 24 Nikon. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I, I believe, you know, somebody could yell at me later if I'm wrong, but um, the the zoom, the 14 to 24 in, in Nikon is actually better than the than the prime 14 that they make in terms of like performance and straightness and chromatic abs and all that it's kind of interesting i just went into gear land <laughs> oh no yeah it's too I, tempting i had that that lens is so freaking expensive mm-hmm. um that i bought a, a tokina version uh, i think it was a 16 to 28 or 35 or something like that yeah i hear great things about the tokina wides it was yeah. It it did a great job, but it had this uh, this effect on the specular highlights that I just I couldn't get down with. It looked like a hashtag or something, and so I ended up selling it. But I mean, just in terms of uh, you know technical things like chromatic aberrations and sharpness, like it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that little effect just made me crazy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I hate it. I'm not doing it anymore. Oh, you know what? It's interesting. So, like, I know that we've been talking about perspectives and, and composition a lot, and um, you know, one of the things that 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 was the most quick, or I guess the quickest way I could learn how to to grasp this stuff was by trying to shoot interior architecture. It's really hard. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, you try to grasp it because you're fighting with it constantly. Oh, yeah, it's an arm wrestle with somebody much stronger than you. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, when I was, when I was first trying to learn it, I was, I was doing it even, you know, in a way that was much more complicated. And that was with the view camera. Cause then I'm trying to actually fix it in the camera. Um, and there's some, there's some, you know, basic rules that are really helpful. And it's just like, um, if you're shooting something like that, then like figure out like what the, the mid, you know, the middle distance is of the, of the height of the ceiling, and place your camera in the middle distance hmm. and you automatically will have straight lines. So then if you move it down, then you know that you have need to make a vertical shift to straighten those lines or hmm. up, or, you know, you move it side to side from the very center of the room. It works the same way. And that's a really great way of like figuring out how to shoot a room in a way that like all your lines will be straight from the start. And then like, if you need to adjust because something compositionally is, is ugly or uninteresting, then at least you'll know which shifts you or tilts that you need to make. I think that's great advice that comes to a lot of people far too late. Even (laughs) just the idea of, because you can adapt that to people as well Mm -hmm. that, you know, unless you are intentionally creating some perspective to a human, uh, you should shoot to the middle of um, where whatever your subject is, so if it's their full body from head to toe, then you place yourself in the middle of their body. Mm-hmm. This is the most com- this is so basic and like the most common issue when you're looking at cell phone photos. People take full length photos and stand at the same height as the person, so they're looking down on them. Yeah. It's just yeah, go to the. But if you're taking a portrait, then yeah, get the, to the middle of you know between their uh, <laughs> shoulders and head or whatever it is. And if you do anything else, you're adding some perspective, and that might be what you intend to do. But know that you're doing it. Don't do it by mistake. Right. So that actually brings up something that I find to be quite funny. And mm-hmm. it's been happening fairly frequently because I have, I have an event client who um, a couple of the, of the women that are usually involved in it and I need to take their photo all the time, they're always like telling me while I'm taking the photo, they're like, come on, higher angle, higher angle. <laughs> right. Because they're worried about you know their chins or something. But you know, instead they just they don't just want to look short. That's not what they're asking. <laughs> but the thing that they don't realize is that, like in a lot of those cases, I'm not using a long lens. You mm-hmm. know, I'm using a wider angle. So if I if I shoot if I stand up higher, then the photo actually looks worse because it's throwing the perspectives off. Yeah, and like it doesn't matter about your chin. Like you know, there's a lot of yeah misinform or confusing information out there about shooting from higher or lower. Yeah, because I think a lot of photographers hear that advice. that's like the first advice you hear is is try to hide people's chins by shooting from above a little bit mm-hmm. i heard that really early 
But what you don't realize is that's the only good thing that it's doing is putting their chin below their face. Mm -hmm. But it is not more flattering in any other way by doing that. Like that's, it's only if they happen to have some additional chin to hide for everyone generally, like don't try to do that. That's like a last resort. Yeah. And you know, it's also, I don't know. It's just, if somebody's really self-conscious, you know, and then you're, they're also asking you to do stuff like that. It's so hard to get a good photo of them. Mm, Yeah. Especially if, so I was photographing recently an event with Kathleen Turner, Mm -hmm. the actress and, She's she's one of those people. She's constantly just like giving me shit, you know. I'm just like, you know, I'm not a tall guy, you know. And she's just like, stand on your tiptoes and take the picture, you know. And I'm like, you don't, no, it doesn't work that way yeah. because this isn't that, no. <laughs> and then the photos don't end up being as good as like when she's just not paying attention, right? Yeah, you know, when she's not paying attention, I get a great photo of her. There's a big difference in this in cinema in general uh, when people when actors and actresses, even, you know, very beautiful actors and actresses are in movies. They often let themselves be shot from unflat. Like there are many unflattering angles because it tells the story better Mm -hmm. because it's more about the character and about the person and about what you're communicating in this moment. Right. Instead of always treating each moment like glamour. Right. Yeah. Like you're worrying about your chin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So five D Mark four. Gear it up. Uh, one thing I really loved was just discovering the day before yesterday that there is a level that you can see through the viewfinder when you turn it on. So that constantly, like no matter how I'm monitoring the image, I can have a digital level telling me exactly how straight so on like, I'm shooting. So like the, the horizon? Yeah, both. The virtual horizon oh, is that, actually on while you're shooting. Yeah, exactly. To to oh. in both degrees, it just appears as a small black diagram at the very top of the frame, and I'm going to leave that on forever and use it I, all the I, time. I agree that that's fantastic. Yeah, it's <laughs> such a great addition. I mean, it's really small, and I think a lot of people won't find it. I already forget where it was in the menu because it was totally buried. But once you turn it on, yeah, yeah, it. It was great. And having that plus the guidelines now has been just a, a new thing I really liked about it. That's really cool. I mean, for nerds like us, that is a make or break kind of yeah, feature. Totally. Because like sometimes when you hear... to just turn the back on, to like turn the LCD on just to see the level for a second so I could confirm. Yeah, totally. Like I, I Like if you're shooting on a tripod, for instance, like I never not use the virtual horizon level mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. You know, that's just that that's an automatic thing. Unless it's like, shit, I have to get this now. <laughs> like I have two seconds to get this. But that's not usually happening when you're shooting at the tripod. Right. So I'm constantly so that would be a huge thing for me. Yeah, no, it's great. I do wish that the grid had thirds. It it doesn't seem to. It seems to only have like a much more intense grid of, I don't know, dozens of lines. Um which you can still use in the same way, but I just I would like, I would prefer an option. Prefer it, yeah. And the really big thing I've been thinking about, though, is uh, the battery life has really been frustrating me. There is a very clear difference between the Mark III and the Mark IV in, in a huge reduction of battery. Hmm. The reviews that I read with official Canon information said that it was about 10% worse. And to me, it feels like 30% worse, <laughs> uh, like a lot. I, I well, now I always, always I'm not good with numbers. And I always feel like something like you hear a number like 10% and you're like, oh, that's not too bad. But in right, pr- in, yeah. in practical use, it's actually. Well, let's put it in practical terms. It's it, it used to be that I would always get through. I could count on one full battery getting me basically to the end of the full day of shooting. And at the end, I'll probably have to change batteries at the very, very end. Like I'll, I'll have just have exhausted one battery after a day of shooting. And, um, and now I certainly, I will definitely have to switch long before the day is is over and i might go through two batteries yeah um so i don't know that was a frustrating step back for this kind of camera like this is a camera that you count on to last a long time so yeah but at the same time you have to look at the the fact that there's probably a lot more going on in that camera that takes more power i know there's reasons i mean i leave my gps on um and i do (laughs) like that feature so i'm uh i haven't tested how much of it is being affected by that but yeah, you know, I can't. I can't say I love all the the new stuff, and that I uh, I think it was the wrong choice. I know that everybody has to make trade offs when they're designing hardware. Just to to warn everybody, like that is something you'll notice. 
So, yeah, that's fascinating. Those are, those are the only notes I had to follow up on right away. Right on. Got any uh, picks for this week? Yeah. So <laughs> it, it all, it's all just happening like kind of like in real time for me this week. So I don't know if you saw my, my tweets yesterday and my, my Instagram, but, um, film. I, yeah. So I, I bought this, this experimental film, if you will, um, or a uh, false color film and it's uh ADOX color implosion. And I honestly, it took me weeks to get through the role because I didn't even, you know, it's, it's weird when you don't know what you're working with. It's kind of hard to like be visualize and then s- seek out what you want to shoot when okay. you have no idea what the, the results are going to be. Um, so it was mostly just like around the house and neighborhood kind of stuff. Like when I'm walking the kid and the dog and, or just, you know, desperate to shoot something and walking in the backyard and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so like the very first portrait that I converted from negative to positive, it's the one that you mentioned, you thought it's, it looked like a hand color. It totally job. did. Yeah. And um, my first impression was, was like, oh, meh, I'm not really digging it. And then after, as I started to work through more of the shots, then I started realizing that there was this really unique and beautiful muted color palette. And it's funny because I'm probably using it wrong because you go on their on their site and the instructions for scanning this film are don't correct it. And then you know you look at all of the uh, all the examples that they have and like a couple of them look really cool. And then there's a bunch of them that are like, why would you ever want that? That's that's really horrible, horrible yellows and stuff. And so of course you know I'm going to correct it. <laughs> you know, I want to get the skin tones as close to a natural look as possible. And when you do that with this film, you actually get these really beautiful tones. They're really muted and they take a little bit of extra work to fix. But once you get it, it's, it's a really lovely cinematic look. And yeah. Well, yeah the one that you posted uh, looks like it was exactly when we started recording. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, it is beautiful. That seems to play very well to, the, the attributes of this film. And also maybe um, a time of year kind of thing. Like I right. think that it's always great to know that you have, you know, a certain when when the weather changes and the light changes and all the tones change, the colors, it's just awesome to know that you could use a, a, a product like that to capture that mood in a way that, that represents that mood in the way that you felt it as opposed to the way that you literally see it. I think that's one of the things that that bugs me about digital photography is that we get stuck on the presets that we like and then everything starts to look the same. And, you know, that's the beauty of film is that you throw in a a different type of or a different stock and all of a sudden you just get this completely unique look. It's brilliant. So tell us again what this film is called and where you can buy it. So it's Adox Color Implosion. <clears throat> you can buy it directly from them. I believe you can also buy it from Lomography. Or you can buy it from your uh, your mega stores like B&H and Adorama. Right, where you can buy everything. And it's generally like, uh, I think it's about $7 a roll. Right. Yeah, good luck with scanning because like, that is, you know, that's the thing that, that I have no idea. Well, like, I think what we learned here is everybody send your scans yeah, to yeah, Cameron. Yeah. <clears throat> this is figuring it out and he'll, um, he'll take and care I'll of it for you. you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I work at a hundred dollars an hour minimum. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good deal. Each photo takes yeah, no. about an hour, <laughs> but still. Um, okay. So mine are, I, I got two cause I'm going to go through unreal ones only a, a very half hearted recommendation. And, uh, I've been using cinemagraph pro which lets you make cinemagraphs um, kind of just in an experimental way. We did one simple client shot with it. And if you don't know what this is, it's the effect of uh, that, you know, most of the image looks like a still photo. And then part of the image is moving like full motion video. I don't, the the half-hearted part is that this app is really expensive and is a subscription model. So it's $23 a month and you just, you don't own it. Uh, and that's to have access to the iOS and the Mac OS so versions. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's more than twice as much as as Lightroom and Photoshop combined subscription. Exactly. That's why I can't. I, I'm not actually. I can't strongly recommend this app. I know other things do it, but I don't know of anything else that tries to do it professionally. So I'm just using that this month to 
create some experiments. And I'd love to find an equivalent app that is not so damn expensive because that's crazy. That's absurd. So, hey, I'm open to recommendations. So, okay, maybe I can make some more solid recommendations inside of that in the way that I'm doing it. So far, I'm doing it all on iPhone. I haven't done any more professional ones. And the process I've really been enjoying is using live photos in the default camera app so that when, when I'm shooting it, I can kind of be capturing both for a still, like a higher megapixel still, and getting a video at the same time and decide what I want to do with it later. A really key thing is keeping the image stable. So you cannot move at all. Uh, you should have a tripod. And there's a, there's a good chance you're going to screw it up if you don't have a tripod. But Assuming you don't, what I was doing is taking live photos and then using a recent Google app called Motion Stills, and that'll take any live photo and convert it to a video clip and stabilize the image, like really, really strong stabilization so that the whole thing is completely locked. Then you can export that as a video and import that into Cinemagraph hmm. Pro. So really quickly and easily, I was able to start making these things with just one very small part of animation. And um, yeah, I'm not good at it yet. And I haven't done anything all that interesting, but that I found that workflow really interesting, that really easy way of doing it, that you don't need a tripod, you don't need to shoot in video mode. Um, it was just a fun way to make those kind of things. And so far I'm just posting them to my Instagram stories. I haven't figured out a real project <laughs> to do with it, but uh, but yeah, so uh, I'm totally open to any recommendations for replacement awesome. apps. I forgot to mention a really important thing about that film, about the color implosion. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. And it's uh, it had like on the on the canister for the film, it says toxic grain, and uh-huh. so be yeah, Sounds be mindful that, that that it is truly toxic <laughs> grain because it's a hundred speed film, and. You know, in some of these shots, the grain looks like it could be sixteen hundred. That is it uh, based on how you expose it. If you underexpose um, too much, or what? Yeah, definitely. So if it's underexposed, then it gets it gets a lot worse and slightly better when overexposed. I mean, it's kind of normal attribute of film, but just beware that even when you're shooting it at box speed in normal lighting conditions, like if that's not a thing that you like, <laughs> like stay away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, this seems like very specific film. Like, you have to want it yeah. to look like this. Yeah. And you just have to either appreciate grain in, in funky colors or don't use it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, yeah. you've been warned. Uh, and, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing some more uh, photos. Send them over so I can sure. post them in the show notes. Thank cool. you. Cool. Thanks, Cameron.